Hey there, this is Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I am Shanda Sung and I'm a comedian. And I'm Ashley Morgan and I'm a farmer. We have been best friends since we were nine years old. Welcome to our show where we teach each other all kinds of things that cover our wide range of knowledge and interests. And today's episode is about national parks. Have you ever been to any national parks? <sighs> no. <laughs> Which makes me feel. I consider myself fairly outdoorsy. We hike a lot and we camp several times a year. There just aren't any around here. <laughs> I think Indiana has one. Ohio has one. So we are planning to go. We did get a campsite at the Dunes for June. So that will be our first national park. And so I'm excited about that. That was hard to get. I booked it in December and we still have to go on weekdays in June because they booked out so far. So we're going to camp there. But we go to a lot of state parks. There are several state parks around here that we go to. But the national parks, they're mostly out west and we just don't yeah. go there. I've been to no? a few. I've been to Badlands, South Dakota. Nice. That place is awesome. It's yeah. like no other landscape you've ever seen. It's like you're walking on Mars. Yeah. It's weird and ugly and yet neat and beautiful at the same time. It's, yeah. It's wild. It was really neat. I've also been to, of course, Rocky Mountain National Park. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Colorado, I actually went there quite a few times. And that place is great, especially in the summertime because you see so many animals. You'll have just yeah. huge herds of elk walk right across the road. Don't wow. even mind. Stop in traffic. Doesn't matter. They'll just they'll just keep on walking. But there's Great Sand Dunes National Park that's in Colorado. We went to that, too. Oh, yeah. We actually took a motorcycle trip there. We literally had big hiking packs on <laughs> our backs. And Tyler and I each rode our motorcycles yeah. down there. And it was fun. I'll say it was definitely an adventure. Yeah. Because... Sometimes when you're driving through those valleys in the mountains, that wind is whipping across there. And so yeah. you feel like you're leaning at like a 45 degree angle while the wind oh. is blowing <laughs> you on this motorcycle. It can be pretty scary. Yeah. And then with like all that on your back, making your center of gravity feel different. And it was exhausting just because it's already like a seven hour drive and that you're yeah. on a motorcycle getting wind whipped and <laughs> all that the whole time but that was a great adventure sand dunes were awesome because people would bring their sleds and sled down it whoa that's cool and then you could ride atvs and go off-roading in the in the sand so that was pretty cool i would like to see some of the california ones oh yeah yeah like the redwoods and yosemite yeah. I, I mentioned on an earlier episode the book Leave Only Footprints by Connor Knighton, the guy that went to every national park in a year. I want to do that. <laughs> it was really cool. They like, you know, there are a lot that I had never heard of before. And mm -hmm. it was interesting to kind of get a little synopsis of every one because they are just completely different ecosystems. Yeah. It didn't really make me want to go to see the sequoias. So in that book, he kind of mentions it. And then also I've read articles is just the volume of people mm -hmm. is increasing so much, which is great. It's great that these are being used, but also it's creating certain problems mm -hmm. with, 
busing and trails being overrun and like social trails being created and stuff like that. So, you know, like Zion, I guess, is one that's just overrun all the time. Anytime mm. you go there, it's just tons of people. But yeah, I would like to go out there and, you know, I have lofty dreams of getting an RV and being an RV family in the summers and going out there and checking them up. Someday when we get our reality show our, on, yeah. the, on the travel channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing it a lot like Paris and Nicole's Simple Life, <laughs> where, you know, we're charming um, and a little ditzy and we're in situations that we don't know anything about and people can just laugh at us. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm, gonna, I'm also going to say that's hot a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just cause. Yeah. It's bringing it back. You know, the early 2000s are coming back around. Ew. <laughs> 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 I agree. But why though? <laughs> as long as everybody doesn't start wearing like Von Dutch again and like Ed Hardy and stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. So before we move on to our topics, I do mm. want to give a quick shout out to my parents. Ooh. My dad and my stepmom have started listening to the podcast. Uh -oh. The problem is, is that they're starting from the beginning. Yeah. So we told on ourselves a lot in various episodes. <laughs> we sure did. Okay. <laughs> so what's funny is I saw my dad this past weekend and he had told me about how they started listening. And he said, I should have named you Olga. Just randomly. Oh, nice. He said it randomly at the party. He said, I should have named you Olga. And I was like, I'm sorry. He's like, you know, of Kiev. And I was like, oh, yeah, because I could set birds on fire and send them into your city. And... <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure. And then at one point he grabs my hand and he says, I'm looking for needle injuries in your fingertips. And I was like, what? And he goes, he goes, yeah, you said in your one episode that you were doing needle felting and you poked your fingers a bunch. And I was like, oh, dad, you're like a year behind. Those are you're jokes that I, I made like a year ago. You got to give me some context. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, you got to catch up, Dave. I want to thank them for listening. Yeah. But I know it's going to be like another year before they hear this episode. So we got a lot of time. So <laughs> All right. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad yeah. they're listening at all. They actually do really enjoy it. They were having a really good time. My dad did say that sometimes it's hard to distinguish which one of us is talking. Like our voices sound just enough alike. And I said, well, yeah. dad, you know our voices so well. Yeah. Shanda's practically another child of yours. So, yeah. yeah. And that's why they've both of our voices have just become white noise to him. That's, yeah. why, <laughs> that's why my brother doesn't listen because yeah. he was like, I tried and I was like, oh, this is just like high school. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> just listen to us. Wah, 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 <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned Olga of Kiev because Josh, my husband, sent me a TikTok that was all about the story of Olga of Kiev mm -hmm. because he thought I would find that interesting. And I was like, uh, excuse me, I already know this story. And you would, too, if you were a listener of Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanta. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, busted. <laughs> See, you have to guilt your husband into listening. Mine is currently being held hostage and has to listen yeah. to us. <laughs> <laughs> either way, either way. Yeah. Josh has listened to a few episodes. He's not a big podcast listener in general. 
or I would be much more upset about it. If he was listening to like a lot of podcasts and specifically not this one, I'd be like, <laughs> what's going on, bud? But yeah, we'll go on like long trips and stuff and he'll listen to them. But yeah, apparently not that episode. Not <laughs> Capable Widows, I think was the name of that one with Olga. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you guys are making your summer trip, to Indiana Dunes for your national park vacation, you'll have like six hours or however long, three hours. Yeah. You'll have three hours. You can sit there and listen. That's that's three episodes there, three episodes back, man. Yeah. You can really make them listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into some some actual content, shall we? I suppose. Okay. If you insist. I'll go first. Yes. And my topic that I'm going to talk about today is the Yellowstone bison herd. So okay. I'm not going to talk about the park itself. I'll, I'll give a little bit of information just so we're all up to speed. But I mostly want to talk about the bison herd that lives within the park. So s some quick fun facts about the park as a whole. It was America's first national park. And it was actually established on March 1st, 1872 by President Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, it's almost its birthday. I... Well, I guess when this comes out, it'll be two days past. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Yellowstone. Yeah. I always associated Yellowstone with Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. But he just went out and visited and was like, way to go. President Grant. This is nice great. Work. Yeah. yeah. This is beautiful. Awesome. I'm going to ride a moose. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> I'm fair. sure. It's... Uh, that seems like something he would do. You're right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't actually designated by him. Yeah. No, it was President Grant. The park is over 2.2 million acres, which is a lot. Yeah. Most of it is located in northwest Wyoming, but some of it does bleed over into Montana and Idaho. Mm -hmm. The park sees about three to four million visitors a year. Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. The park is, of course, known for its lakes, mountains, the tallest of which I believe is 11,000 and something. Mm -hmm. The park has hot springs. Old Faithful Geyser is there. It's known for the caldera or the supervolcano that yeah. lives underneath it. Yeah, which doesn't freak me out at all. <laughs> well, actually, I was originally going to have this topic be about the supervolcano. Yeah. And I looked into it a little bit and I was like, this is a lot of science that I really don't understand. And so <laughs> as we know from past episodes, when we try to explain things we don't understand, it's just a hot freaking mess. So. Yeah. I was like, well, if this is a lot of science, I don't understand. And also, it uh, might be a little depressing. So maybe I don't <laughs> want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Let's talk about some bison then. Yeah, let's talk about fuzzy animals instead. Yes. <laughs> so the park is also home to a bunch of different plant species, 1,700 different species of trees, 8,000 species of rare flowers. Which to me, those numbers are mind-blowing. I mean, I know it's 2.2 yeah. million acres, but 1,700 different trees. That's wild. 
That means that some nerds with clipboards were walking around being like, there's one kind and there's two kinds and there's three kinds. <laughs> like, that's the thing that blows me away on that kind of like that is they have a specific number. They have an Excel spreadsheet with <laughs> all oh, these sure. flower types in them when, you know, I just walk through there and be like, well, that's pretty, you know, that one's uh, blue. Ooh, and that one's blue yeah. and that one's blue. And that one's blue. Oh, those are all different? I don't know. They're all blue. Oh, oh man. <laughs> so a bunch of different plants, but there's also a ton of different animals, which is also kind of what the park is known for. Specifically, mm -hmm. it's large animals. Yeah. There are 60, 60, 60 different species of mammals in the park. There are seven different reptile species. Which I found kind that of interesting. Seems low. It does, but if you think about it, they have harsh winters. And I guess it's northwest Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. I would just think that there would be at least that many just snakes. You'd think. Nope. Seven yeah. different reptiles. 311 different species of birds have been sighted mm -hmm. in the park. And then, of course, a bunch of insects that come around in the summertime. Which Well, we don't count them. Yeah. You can't count them. <laughs> so after all that, which is a lot, I want to narrow it down of the 60 mammals. Let's talk about bison. Okay. So what makes this bison herd interesting and unique within this park is that it is the only herd that was not hunted to extinction in the 1800s. Wow. The only ones that survived. The only ones in America to actually survive. So now in the 1880s, they were down to 23 individuals. It got very, very small. Wow. So they were almost eradicated. Almost. But 23 individuals managed to survive in the 1880s. Now in 1896, the... Park Service decided to bring in more animals. So they brought in one bull and seven cows from the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Those bison that came from Chicago were probably like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I can't hear any honking horns. <laughs> what is this smell? This is, is this not garbage? What? And they came from a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, like a zoo in the middle of the city, and they're like, oh, now I'm on two million acres. Yeah. A little <laughs> culture shock, I I'm guess. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> city bison meet country bison. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, where can I get good Thai food delivered? And they're like, what? There's none of that out here. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's, that's what stupid. they said. That's dumb. <laughs> So then a few years later, in 1902, 21 more animals were bought by the federal government from a rancher in Texas named Charles Goodnight, which is a really cool name. That's a great name. Yeah. Goodnight. Yeah. Uh, so Chucky Goodnight. <laughs> and the reason they brought all those animals in, yes, that the 23 original were there already, but mm -hmm. they did that over the next few years, not only to increase the numbers of the herd, but then also to introduce genetic diversity. 
Yeah. Because you start to run into problems when there's a very shallow gene pool. Yeah. Although if you go back to our very first episode, our birds episode, I do talk about how the starling gene pool is very shallow and yet somehow those birds are thriving. (laughs) They're probably dumb as a box of rocks, but somehow there's bajillions of them now. Probably not the case for bison. Yeah. So we're going to introduce some genetic diversity Get those animals healthy and growing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an inbred bird would likely do a lot less damage than an inbred <laughs> bison yeah. that's the size of a minivan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So for the next 60 years-ish, the herd was managed a lot like livestock is. And I think this was to help get them established, help get their numbers up. Then around 1960, the Park Service then decided... We're going to stop managing them so strictly, and we're going to implement what's called natural regulation. So what does that mean to manage them? Like I heard, is that to like matchmake as far as like breeding? I'm not sure exactly what they did specifically to manage them. Mm -hmm. But if I had to guess, I would say they maybe fed them during the winter. Maybe they set out hay bales to make sure that they didn't succumb to starvation. They perhaps rounded up and treated disease or injury if they could. That would be my guess. They probably just kept an eye on them to make sure that there was no bullies hurting the cows or no babies that were getting killed or trampled by aggressive bulls. You know, probably things like that would be my guess is what they were doing. Yeah, that's a very informed explanation that makes a lot of sense whereas i was like maybe they were playing matchmaker and putting them on (laughs) blind bison dates (laughs) you two one of us has a degree in animal management and one does not (laughs) (laughs) that was literally an educated guess for me (laughs) (laughs) but around 1960 they decided you know what the numbers are big enough they're doing great We're going to go ahead and implement what's called natural regulation, essentially letting them go on their own with pretty minimal interference. In the year 2020, their numbers were around 4,800. Wow. So the herd went from 23 to 4,800. That's great. The largest the herd ever got was around Mm 5,500. But they have found that the optimal size is around 3,000. So anything larger than 3,000 individuals within the herd, and you start to run into ecosystem limitations. There's competition amongst other grazers for food sources. There's also regional, like territory disputes when all these animals are in the same space. But then also as your herd gets bigger, some of them in looking for new space, in looking for more water, and looking for more grazing lands might leave the park. Oh. And that is a little problematic. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it's still pretty remote, like, (laughs) but I'm just imagining a bison, like, in the parking lot of a grocery store, like, this is mine now. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to eat the grass out of this median. This is mine. You can't touch me. Yeah. (laughs) Part of the reason that it, it it's problematic when they leave the park is 
there's a lot of farmland and ranches in the area. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of fair game at that point. They are not under the protection of the park. So they can be hunted. Mm -hmm. They are hazed. Essentially, what that means is they're harassed into going back into the park. So those who can't or won't hunt them will encourage, (laughs) air quotes, encourage them to head back into the park. Yeah, shoot them with paintball guns and stuff. Chasing them, loud noises, bright lights, things like that. Yeah. Sometimes if the herd is too big and there are animals that are leaving and they don't want to go back in, sometimes they will round them up, vaccinate against any diseases, and Mm -hmm. then ship them off to other areas. Again, for genetic diversity in the new area, but then also Mm -hmm. just to spread them out a little bit you know it's obvious that the park can no longer handle that size of population we're going to go ahead and move them to an area that can better sustain and perhaps maybe even needs more animals so they'll do that part of the problem that the farmers and the ranchers have is not only competition for grazing land amongst their cattle but also there is a bacterial disease I'm going to butcher the name, I'm sure, (laughs) called brucellosis, something like that. You don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll just say it confidently. Sounds great. Brucellosis, which can infect bison and cattle. So they can essentially swap it back and forth. Mm. And it's very harmful to both animals. So most all domesticated cattle are vaccinated against it. But... Mm. If it still is, maybe they don't, maybe they have new cattle, maybe it's young calves that haven't been vaccinated yet. They're they're trying to eradicate it. In fact, Mm -hmm. I wrote this quote down. It said, since 1934, an estimated $3.5 billion in federal, state, and private funds have been spent on the eradication of this disease in domestic livestock. Whoa. So... They're really trying to cut it down, but when you have the movement of animals like that, it's really hard to keep it in check. Mm-hmm. And because it can be transferred between these these two species, it, it can be problematic. Overall, the herd is doing well as long as it stays within the confines of the park. It's doing mm-hmm. well. It is a huge tourist attraction. It is a staple of the park. And I think just recently, the bison was nominated as America's mammal. National right. National Mammal, which I didn't know was a thing, but sure. I mean, we got to get one of those. Yeah. What self-respecting country doesn't have a national mammal? I know, right? Why don't you just go bold and be like the human? <laughs> I'm a mammal. <laughs> national mammal. Some of them are animals. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's all I really want to say about the herd itself in, in my Fun facts, you know, my list of yeah. fun facts about these herd. In my research, I did find a couple of videos and articles about tourist interaction with the bison. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Oh, people are so dumb. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> people forget when they're in this park that these are wild animals and they are incredibly yeah. unpredictable. They're not domesticated. They're yeah. not even tame right they're just used to people Mm. but within limitations so 
yeah, they're used to seeing cars and people standing there taking pictures, but they don't want you going up and petting them. And that's literally what I saw in one of the videos. There was oh, a bison laying down, an adult giant ass animal laying down in this open space. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. It was a woman. I think it was a woman because there she was carrying a bag. What looked like and a, we can't we can't say no to something that's fuzzy. It's so cute. It's so fuzzy. And I got to pet it. <laughs> but she walked out to this bison and was rubbing its forehead. Wow. And the bison is like rearing its head and shaking its head, swinging its head around. And she'd kind of take a step back and then she'd reach out and pet it again. And <laughs> the, the person who was taking the video was like, at one point he yells at his kid. He's like, hey, get back here. Don't go near that in case the freaking bison charged, which, yeah. Yeah. At what point do you just yell at that lady? Hey, you're going to get freaking what? killed. Like, leave yeah. it alone. That is a wild animal. Like, yeah, yeah it's not a bear or a mountain lion. It's not going to rip your face off, but you could still get terribly hurt. You can get trampled. They're strong. Yes. Do you see how big their freaking necks are? Like, come on, man. Yeah. She petted it for a minute and then walked away. And there was a part of me that, like... I almost wanted her to get, I didn't want her to get hurt. Okay, I did (laughs) want her to get hurt a little bit. But just at least scared enough because she got away with that as if it were nothing. She went up to that giant animal, petted it, and was like, ha ha, I did it. Okay, and walked away. Which means she's Mm going to feel like she can do that again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get her killed. Yeah. So lady who pet a bison in Yellowstone... I hope you're still alive, but you're probably not if you do dumb shit like that. So, yeah, <laughs> my apologies to your family for their loss. But then the, the big story that came out of there relatively recently was mm-hmm. in 2016, a father and son found a bison calf in the road and it wouldn't move out of the road. They mm-hmm. thought it was cold. So they picked it up and put it in the back of their Toyota Sequoia and (sighs) took it to the ranger station. The ranger was like, get the fuck out of here. They opened up the back of their little SUV or whatever, whatever it is, hatchback or SUV or whatever, opened the the back portion of and there's a little calf just standing there. And somebody took a picture of it. Oh, it's probably cute as hell, too. Oh, my God, it was. It was totally adorable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the guy was like, uh, we were worried about it freezing to death. We were worried about it w- was cold. The low of the day was 39 degrees. The high mm. for the day was 50. And you're worried about this yeah. little calf freezing to death. Uh, oh, these ding-dongs are probably from Florida. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know where they were from. Probably, though. So the park rangers, of course, scolded them took the bison back to where it was found, tried Mm -hmm. to reintroduce it to the herd. The mother rejected it. The calf that age is solely reliant on mother's milk. They cannot graze to survive. The rangers had to euthanize this calf because its mother rejected it because tourists put it in the back of their freaking SUV and took it to a ranger station. And it smelled like old McDonald's French fries. And the mother was like, no, no, no. That's not my baby. Oh, that's so upsetting. They got fined like $110, which I feel like is not enough. No, that probably didn't cover the euthanasia. Yeah. 
No. So they got fined, but then the park was actually looking to pursue criminal charges. And I don't know yeah. whatever came of that, but it probably didn't. But yeah. it was another thing where it's like they they got away with it to a certain extent. Like, yeah, they had to pay a fine and yeah, they got scolded. But yeah. I hope they know that it got euthanized because I'm oh, assuming I'm sure it got, they do. They... I, I'm assuming it got euthanized like a few days later. But I mm. really, really hope they know that they did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Don't touch the wildlife, please. Yeah. I say that, but then I'm also a person that wants to raise a baby possum and maybe a couple of crows. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's different. That's just because you're a woodland goblin. <laughs> I'm trying to be. The crows are too standoffish. <laughs> Please take me with you. But yeah. So the bison herd. Doing great until people do dumb shit. Yeah, doing great with the help of people and also in spite of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I All think right. that can describe almost anything in in the planet. I know, right? <laughs> like your little pupfish. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's all I had to say about the Yellowstone bison herd. Let's take a quick break and then I want to hear what's going on in your national park. All right. All right, we are back and it's my turn. And I may have uh, strayed off the path of the theme of this episode just <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so I guess it's good that you went first. It's okay. All right. This is what I'm, I'm going to be talking about the illegal funeral of Graham Parsons. Okay. That happened. At a national park. <laughs> there it is. Bringing it back around. <laughs> <There> it <is. laughs> yeah. So uh, Graham Parsons was a country singer, um, has, is kind of seen as the father of like alt country. He was born in Florida, November 5th of 1946 and grew up in Georgia, but then um, later went to Harvard briefly, began playing music. He was in several bands that traveled around. He was most famously in a band called the Flying Burrito Brothers <laughs> and <delicious>. also yes <laughs> and also the birds and then he had branched out and started working on solo work he was very well known among musicians of that time he was a big inspiration to the Rolling Stones and Keith Richards especially and so he had a lot of respect, like, within... He was, like, a musician's musician, I think, is safe to say. And he was very into the National Park Joshua Tree. Is that one that you've ever been to? Mm -mm. No, but I know people who've been there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, you know, it's popular among people who live in Southern California because that's where it is, essentially. I've heard it's kind of a spiritual journey, too. People go there for spiritual journeys. Yeah, and I don't know... If it's so much, I mean, it may very well be the setting, <laughs> but it may also be its proximity to an area of the country where people go on spiritual journeys. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I would say people in L.A. are more likely to go on a spiritual journey than people in Montana. So but that's just my judgment. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure I could make a killing if I just set up a little booth right outside a Joshua tree that sold little single servings of acid and LSD. I mean, maybe, but I assume everybody's brought their own. So. <laughs> In case you didn't or you need more, come see me. I'll yeah. help you on your spiritual journey. Yeah. So Joshua Tree National Park is is a, essentially all desert is the thing. And so that's what's kind of surreal for that. You know, you get out of like Southern California and then boom, you're in this huge desert and it's largely in Southern California. It's named for the trees in the park that are named Joshua trees, which were named by some Mormons who visited and likened the trees to Joshua from the Bible and his arms being raised in worship. And so that's where the name comes from. Hmm. And and so they named the trees and the trees named the park. <laughs> <is where we're laughs> at. It's desert. It's huge. Um, many people have gotten lost in there. There was a couple not that long ago, maybe within the last 20 years. I can't remember which year who got lost to the point of near starvation and they were two miles from their car. Wow. And it was just that they were in the desert and just so turned around. And so it's it's pretty big. It's not as big as Yellowstone. It is 790,000 acres. Considerable. It's not 2 million acres, but <laughs> it's larger than Rhode Island. So wow. suck it, Rhode Island. <laughs> and it's all, it's all desert. And there are parts of it that are not open to the public at, at various times. And it's been through kind of a lot because there were periods where it was being pretty regularly vandalized and mostly people going out there and digging up cacti and other plants, succulents, and bringing them back to plant in their lawns. Huh. And so it is... Uh, I, I don't know. I guess it's not one of the most vandalized national parks. I imagine they all kind of experience this, but that was sure. and is an ongoing problem. And even during the shutdown and in the early days of the pandemic, there was a rise in a lot of damage to some of these these trees because there just wasn't staff there mm. to make sure people weren't fucking around with the Joshua trees. So this is that park and Graham Parsons had had been there several times and talked about it a lot as a place that he found spiritually very I don't know what I'm trying to say. Enlightening. He found it Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he found it very, you know, spiritually healthy for him to go and visit there and wander in the desert and sort of connect with nature. And that's where he wanted to go in 1973, he had just released his first solo album called GP, and he was also dealing with some personal stuff. He had he was a, a hard partier kind of in general leading up to that, but he had started using heroin mm. and then his wife left him and then he was at his house and it caught on fire. And so he was going through some rough shit and he was like, I want to go to my happy place. I'm going to go to Joshua Tree. Yeah. And that's where he headed to. He was encouraged to go there by his road manager, Phil Kaufman. He knew that that was a place that would be good for him. He was like, why don't you go out to Joshua Tree, this place that you like to go? And he did. He went with his girlfriend, Margaret Fisher, his assistant, Michael Martin, and Michael Martin's girlfriend, Dale McElroy, and then... Phil Kaufman went with them as well. 
And so the group gets out there and they go to Graham's favorite spot, which is the Joshua Tree Inn. And I looked this place up and it is like it's uh, very kind of 60s vibe even now. Hmm. And it's all first floor sort of a roadside motel kind of feeling it's all cinder block but it's decorated in like that southwest style and <laughs> each room is kind of a, a suite with a bunch of windows that look out on the desert it's pretty close to the park but this is a place that he'd been several times and so he went back there they check in and uh, they spend a few days partying it up they're going out to bars, they're drinking, they're doing a lot of drugs. Graham is sitting in with bands, having a good time, going out and wandering the desert during the day and uh, coming back. And on September 18th, they send Phil Kaufman back to L.A. in Graham's car to go pick up some more drugs because they were out. And while Phil is gone, they meet up with a woman in the lobby of the motel who sells them some morphine and she says she'll inject them Ugh. That's service you know yeah I, i've got the stuff and i'll take care of it for you but they do that they're in her room and you know what says you're on a downward trajectory is when a stranger in a roadside motel offers to give you an injection <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah mm. things, things are not not as uh I mean, he's there for relaxation, but uh, maybe not that much relaxation. Maybe just listen to some soothing music and enjoy the warm weather. Maybe don't let a stranger inject you with, you know, technically unknown substances. Uh, yes. <laughs> and and then Graham would have been wise to heed that advice because he immediately overdosed. Oh, OK. There it is. Yeah. So they bring him back to his room. They're trying to resuscitate him. They end up finally calling the ambulance and they take him to a hospital and he's pronounced dead at the High Desert Memorial Hospital on September 19th, 1973. He was 26 years old. Wow. Initially, when it came out that he had died, they reported that it was natural causes which is an insane thing to say about a 26-year-old. It's a drug overdose, naturally. <laughs> yeah, naturally. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was pending toxicology and they should have just said that. But like, I read a Rolling Stone article from 1973 that was like natural causes. And I was like, what? No, is that code? Like, I guess in that time, so many musicians were dying young from drugs that it was like, we, you know, you know what it is. You know what we mean by quote unquote natural causes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wink, it was wink. a wild thing. But they did find just a, a whole lot of stuff in his system. It was, yeah, several different drugs and alcohol. But before they got those toxicology reports, it goes on quite a wild ride. So they Phil Kaufman gets back. He had been on their drug run and he comes back to chaos. You know, they had called the called the ambulance. Graham had been taken to the hospital and the women who were there were like, we we got to get out of here. Uh, the cops are going to come here. They're going to find all these drugs that we have. We got to go. And so they cleared the room of all the drugs and they got back in Graham's car and Phil Kaufman drove them back to L.A. While he's in L.A., he starts making some phone calls and figuring out what has happened to Graham and what is happening to his body. And the day after, so he was pronounced dead at 
12.15. So that was on the 19th. So it had only been the 19th for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so the 20th is when this uh, real caper happens. So this is a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. It, within two days, it has been decided by Graham's family that his body is to be flown back to New Orleans where they live so they can do a funeral. Graham's stepfather has already said that only family will be present at the funeral, none of Graham's friends. And Graham's body has already been embalmed and is at the airport ready to be transported back to New Orleans. So things are happening pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like within two days of him dying, he is at LAX and his friends, Phil Kaufman and Michael Martin, who had been there with him in Joshua Tree, said, no, this is not how this is going to happen. You're not going to exclude Graham's friends from this funeral. And in fact, Phil Kaufman claims that not too long before his death, they had attended a funeral of another friend of theirs. And as they were lowering the body into the ground, Graham allegedly turned to Phil and said, don't ever let that happen to me. I want to be cremated and I want my ashes spread at Joshua Tree. And so Phil and Michael decide that's what they're going to do. So fueled by who knows what substances, okay, they come up with this uh, wacky little plan to take <laughs> Michael Martin's 1953 Cadillac hearse. This man owned and drove a hearse for fun. How convenient. Yeah, <laughs> for just such an occasion. <laughs> already. When all my friends overdose and die, I got a car for that. <laughs> yeah, truly ready for any situation. <laughs> and so they're like, we got this hearse. Let's go get this body. And so they decide, OK, so we're going to go to LAX and we're going to claim that we are funeral directors. OK, so maybe we should have suits on. And they're like, mm, we don't have suits. We are funeral directors who just got off work. <laughs> and we're really in a hurry. Um, but why are we in a hurry? Um, because we got some girls. We got some girls that are waiting on us. But we got this last minute call to pick up this body. And we're supposed to drive it to somewhere um, to a different airport. And um, it's going to get flown on a private plane. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. So... They're like, we got our story. So they pull up to LAX to Western Airlines, who had the body, and they do exactly that. They're like, hey, man, we got to get this body. You know, come on. Um, we got the hearse here. Like, clearly, you know, we're legit. It, here's a hearse. They don't just sell those to anybody. And, <laughs> and we need this body. Come on. I got this girl. She's so hot. And, like, I'm supposed to meet her. But I got to take this stupid body to another airport. Just give me the body. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just give me the body. <laughs> And the guy working at the airport is like, I guess, I don't know, seems fine. Just sign this paperwork. And so they sign it, Jeremy Nobody. <laughs> That's the name. Of, like, you, you don't want to do like Smith or Johnson or like. <laughs> it would have been yeah. funny if the guy at the airport was kind of looking at him skeptically and then been like, OK, but how hot is this girl? Like real hot? <laughs> like a 10? 
All right, dude. I I get it. Come on. You got to do what you got to do, man. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just I'm picturing these guys like in like bell bottom jeans and denim jackets and long shaggy hair, you know, like typical 70s musician. And they probably just smelled so bad, like weed and alcohol. Like <laughs> This guy, this guy had to have gotten fired from his job at the airline. Like, oh, I'm sure. They finally, they signed the paperwork, Jeremy, nobody. And they're trying to get Graham's body loaded up. And they realize that there's a police cruiser parked in the way of where they need to be. So they find the cop and they're like, hey, man, you got to move your cruiser so we can get this body. And they're super nervous. And uh, the cop's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, I can do that. So he moves the cruiser. And then he notices them trying to load the casket into the hearse. And he's like, you guys seem like you need a hand. Do you need a hand? (laughs) And he helps them load it into the (laughs) hearse. (laughs) Uh, and they're like oh yeah thanks yeah thanks well we gotta go we got these girls (laughs) and they get in the hearse and they're so freaked out and nervous they go to drive away and they hit a wall they like (laughs) they like crash the car into like this wall and they're like no no and he's like hey you guys good and they're like no no yeah we're fine no problem (laughs) oh my god we always do that we always just hit that wall it's for good luck yeah yeah (laughs) it's all good buff right out no problem oh my god that's amazing so yeah they had to be just like full-on shitting their pants (laughs) (laughs) so they have acquired graham's body in this coffin and they drive him to joshua tree and they go out to this place that's called cap rock and it's a pretty well-known rock formation. It's one big, tall rock with another flat rock on top of it, as if it is wearing a cap. Yeah. So it is called Cap Rock. They take it there. They unload the casket, open it up, pour five gallons of gasoline inside it, light it, and leave. <gasps> and they're driving home, very drunk, and they pull off somewhere on the way to LA to sleep it off a little bit and they wake up and they go to start the hearse and the hearse won't start. So they get out of the hearse and they start walking and they find a mechanic and they get the mechanic to come back to the hearse. The mechanic does a couple of repairs. They get the hearse running, they get back in it, start driving, get involved in a multiple car pileup. Oh, geez. The police come to this pileup and uh, check on them in the hearse they open the door to the hearse to get out and beer cans fall out on the ground so the police officer's like all right well i'm gonna cuff you so he cuffs the two guys and then he says well i gotta go over here and check and make sure everybody else in these other cars are okay and so he walks away and when he walks away they manage to slip out of the cuffs and take off (laughs) running and they get away they're they're gone so then about this time some campers spotted the burning coffin and they alert park rangers park rangers come put it out see what has happened and the authorities all kind of start get involved and there's an alert sent out for these people they contact the airport who was like oh yeah um we're missing a body (laughs) (laughs) And they're 
they're like, well, we found a body. So then they start to compare notes on the people. The campers were like, oh, yeah, we did see a hearse driving away. And then so, you know, two and two gets put together. And then the police are like, "Okay, we know who we're looking for. They've narrowed down the names of these guys. Graham's body was not fully cremated. As you can imagine, this was not a professional job, despite the fact that they had the right vehicle. (laughs) There was some remains, so they gathered those remains and they were sent to New Orleans to his family where they did have a funeral and he was buried. I don't think buried because it's New Orleans. And so they all have mausoleums. So he is interred. (laughs) Yes, he is laid to rest in New Orleans at the Memorial Lawn Cemetery under the epitaph God's Own Singer. (laughs) Kaufman and Martin were found and arrested and the authorities were like, we don't know what to charge you with, honestly. And so it started being referred to in the press as Graham Theft Parsons. (laughs) 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 This is very funny. <laughs> so they were charged with just theft in general, but they committed Graham Graham theft parson. <laughs> and um yeah, they were they were arrested. They were charged 30 days in jail, a $300 fine each, and they had to pay for the funeral that the family had in New Orleans. Oh my gosh. And in order to pay for all of this, they threw a party. They called it Kaufman's Coffin Caper Concert, <laughs> and uh, they had DJs and musicians, and they sold they sold beer that had Graham's picture on it, and it was labeled Graham Pilsner, a stiff drink for what ails you, and that's how they raised the money for this, and there is, at Joshua Tree Inn, they have the room that he stayed in, room eight, they have that kind of set aside as like a a touristy thing. If you're a fan, you can ask for it to stay there in the Graham Parsons room, which is super creepy to me. Not yeah. something that I would want to do. No. They have a statue there. Joshua Tree National Park does not officially recognize, uh, like acknowledge the story. It's not on any maps or it's not in any of the official literature, but park rangers will tell you about it (laughs) if you ask. Cap Rock is sort of treated as an unofficial memorial and people will leave things there, but the rangers clear it off every day. You know, it's not an official thing. So Joshua Tree has had, had a lot of crazy things, but I think that's one of the most kind of public... Uh, be, you know, because it it involved a famous person, but yeah, yeah a real real keystone caper. These <laughs> goons, I don't know how they got got as far as they did. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I don't know a whole lot about Graham Parsons, but if these were his friends, I imagine he probably thought the whole thing was hilarious. Oh, <laughs> so. I'm sure. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, they how yeah. how they got away with that much is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like he, they could have been caught multiple times uh, yeah. in that whole thing. Jeremy so, Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> what? Jeremy Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and the cop loaded the coffin into the hearse with them. Like, how did he not know they were drunk? Like, they were at least drunk. At least. I'm sure they were, you know, on other stuff too, but. Yeah, totally wild. Oh, that's awesome. So that is my national park story, if it qualifies. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. It's close enough. Worth it. So 
that's what I got. So um, I don't know if you have any uh, national park stories. We want to hear about them. Yeah. Did you ever pet a bison? Please don't. Yeah. Don't tell me that. I'll get mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Keep that shit to yourself. (laughs) You should be ashamed and embarrassed. Yeah. Have you ever run off with a friend's dead body? Tell us that story. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's some that's some Ava Perone shit right there. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. I love a I love a a postmortem adventure. Yeah, all right. But Shanda, do you have any uh, shows coming up? I do. Um, let's see. When, by the time this comes out, I will be headed to Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, fun. For family vacation, during which I have scheduled a show because <laughs> I can't help myself. So can't turn it I off. will be, yes, I will be doing comedy in Jacksonville, Florida at a cigar shop on uh, March 17th. So if you happen to live in the Jacksonville area, um, how are you listening to this? <laughs> That's my first question. And my second question is, what are you doing the 17th? You want to come listen to me tell jokes? In April, I am going to be in uh, Milwaukee on the 14th, 15th, and 16th at the Laughing Tap. And um, in May on the 5th and 6th, I'm going to be at the Drop Comedy Club in South Bend. And I've got some other things in the works, but um, you can always be up to date on what I've got going on. Um, you can find me at on Facebook and Instagram at Shanda Sung, on Twitter at Shanda S. Panda. And uh, <laughs> I had, okay, I don't get on Twitter a lot. And most of the time, anytime my tweets get any likes, it's usually in the neighborhood of 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not getting like tons, I'm not going viral, but I did have my most successful tweet. It's like almost to 50 likes, I think. Wow. And it was me saying that. <laughs> that i have considerably cut down on the amount of fast food that i've been eating and it's a hundred percent because the driver's side window on my van stopped rolling down (laughs) (laughs) so the key to both gaining and losing weight is laziness that's what that is (laughs) yeah uh, me me admitting that I'm too embarrassed to be white trash and hold my door open in the drive through at McDonald's is the, the most viral I've gone on <laughs> Twitter. Oh, laughing at my shame. <laughs> but yeah, you can find me in all those places. You can find the show at Passing Notes with Ashley and Chanda on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, where can we find you, you guys, the farm? Yeah, you can find us on TikTok and Facebook, Crimson Moon Farm. And then we also have a website, crimsonmoonfarm.com, where you can see videos, recipes, products, and the like. So check us out at all those places. All right. So thank you for listening to this episode of Passing Notes. And I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun telling it. If you know any more postmortem capers that I can talk about on the podcast, Shoot them at me because I want to know. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I'm here to talk about. (laughs) Dead bodies going on adventures. So I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope that you share it with your best friend. Absolutely. And like every week, I want to thank my husband, Tyler, for recording, producing and editing the show. We want to thank you all for listening. This is episode 48. Coming up to some pretty big milestones here pretty soon. Thanks for hanging in this long. We appreciate you. Thanks to my parents for just tuning in (laughs) yeah 
you'll get these kudos in about a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For Shanda Sung, I'm Ashley Morgan. Join us next time on Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. Tyler, are you playing Candy Crush? He's playing a color, a, like a color by number. Sometimes he looks like really busy over there and like focused, but then I realize there's a lot of repetitive movement. That's a game. He's playing yeah. a game. <laughs> it's a game. Yeah. He's busy doing important, important, busy things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, looks busy. <laughs> 